Why couldn't the bike finish the Olympic race? It was too tired. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Versatile Nerd. I am Lily Hobbick and today we will be talking about the Olympic Games. Um, when I was thinking of topics for episodes, the 2020 Summer Games were live on screen. And the Olympics are just such a fun and historical event. They uh, likely actually originated before 776 BC. I thought that this would be an interesting and applicable subject for today's episode. The Olympic Games are perhaps the largest and most famous international event, featuring winter and summer sports where the best of the best athletes compete, representing their countries and earning medals if they are in first, second, or third place. The Olympic Games normally happen every four years, which is called an Olympiad, alternating between the summer and winter games every two years in that four-year period. So what this means is that, for example, well, COVID-19... Um, did affect the Olympics and moved it one year ahead. So instead of 2020, we had the Summer Olympics this year in 2021. But if the Summer Olympics would happen in 2020, that means that the next Summer Olympics would be in four years, but the Winter Olympics would just be in 2022, um, as they alternate every two years in that four-year period. I figured it would be natural to begin by talking about the history of the Olympic Games. The first Olympics started as a way to please the gods in Greece. Um, so they would hold these festivals where all sorts of citizens would be able to have the opportunity to show off their talents, especially athletic ability, in order to win favor from the gods. And this also gave them some power and won the people's approval. The earliest date that is historically correct is said to be 776 BC, although most historians would agree that the Olympics started well before this. And this first Olympics that is historically correct was held on the coast of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. This festival was held in order to honor Zeus. And during these games, all wars would cease during this contest. So they would have this giant peace treaty agreement that everyone in Greece, no matter where they were in the war, because as you might know, um, city-states in Greece were often at war with one another, um, those would all cease so that everyone would be able to compete. And not only were sports featured in these Olympics, but the competition of music, oratory, and theatrical performance. According to the earliest records that historians have, the only event of the ancient Olympics was a foot race around 183 meters. That would be about 200 yards, and this would have been the length of the Greek stadium. A second race, though, was added in what is said to be the 14th Olympics, a race that was two stadiums long, and four years later, another even longer race was also added, so that would be the 15th Olympics. The first ever recorded winner of the Olympics is said to be a cook, Corobus of Elis, who won one of the earliest 200-yard races. He came from a poor family and was, like I said, just an ordinary cook who turned out to be a great runner. 
Um, this actually was the case in a lot of the ancient races where just ordinary citizens came to race and they kind of won a name that way. Olympics were a regular scheduled event. They occurred in the time of Greece's golden age and in a place that was really prosperous and highly civilized with lots of people. And this became a really good, like, really good attention-bringing thing, a really big event, especially in Greece. The whole Olympic Games kind of changed when the Spartans showed up. So the Spartans were people that controlled the areas of Lysonia and Mycenae. The actual city of Sparta was located along the banks of the Eurotas River in the southeastern portion of Greece. Unlike most of Greece, um, including the famous capital city of Athens, the Spartans didn't study philosophy, art, or theater. They only studied war. The Spartans are widely considered to be the best warriors out of all the city-states in Greece. And all Spartan men trained to become warriors from the day that they were born. So when the Spartans joined in the Olympics, they really influenced the agenda of the games. They made it more competitive and motivated the addition of more rigorous types of sports. For example, the 18th Olympiad included wrestling and a pentathlon consisting of running, jumping, spear throwing, now known as the javelin, discus throwing, and wrestling. For those who didn't know what a pentathlon is, it's an athletic event that includes five sports elements. For example, someone could be in a pentathlon with an element as swimming, then biking, then running, then jumping, then um, discus throwing, something like that. So it's a five-in-one deal. At the 23rd Olympics, even boxing was added, and the events at the Olympics just continued to expand from there. They added chariot racing and other sports. In the 37th Olympiad, around 632 BC, the format was extended to five days of competition instead of just the one or two. And the growth of the Olympics also harvested professionalism among the athletes. This became more of a job, not so much more of just old Corobius of Elis could just come in and join the Olympics. It became a very something that you trained for, a very athletic, very competitive um, competition among more professional like athletes. Um, this even like began to influence, you know our modern-day athletes and how it became kind of a give-it-your-all type thing. It's not just like a side hustle, it's like a real thing. Being the victor of the Olympics was a really big deal. Victors were praised and glorified. Sometimes statues were built of them. It became a really big deal to win the Olympics. As time passed, the ideas and value and purpose of the Olympics started to dwindle um, as royalty began to compete for personal gain, especially in chariot races. So instead of focusing on pleasing the gods and the athlete's ability, it became more of a way for royal figures such as kings and higher authorities um, to compete and earn power that way. In AD 394, the games actually were officially ended by the Roman Emperor Theodosius I. This was during the time when Christianity was huge on the rise, and Theodosius I felt that the Olympics had pagan connotations. 
This was actually key in establishing the creed of Nicaea as the universal orthodoxy for Christianity back then. Um, if you don't know much of this, um, no worries. It's really not that important for today's topic. So, as of 8394, the games were officially ended for a really long time. They, the revival of the Olympic Games didn't happen till 1896. The revival of the Olympics, unlike the original Olympic Games, has a clear, concise history. The revival officially began in 1896. And the Greeks themselves have tried to revive the Olympics in the past by holding local athletic games in Athens during the 1800s, but it never lasted. The success was fleeting. The revelation of the Olympics was in part motivated by this ideal that the Greeks had, this philosophy that is common in a lot of ancient civilizations, the idea that success comes through both mind and body, in Greece, this was called Cartesian dualism. Um, you can see this come up, though, in ancient Indian Asia as well. Even in modern science, you might hear someone recommend exercise to improve the mental health. And you can see that body and mind are connected and unified in the religions of Buddhism, Shintoism, and more. You can see this in meditation practices. You can see this in your daily life. You can see this in school, PE, physical education. So this ideal has grown widely, but originally the historical and accurate point of which it originated was likely Greece. Well, a young Frenchman, a baron, which means an influential and aristocratic person in France, um, na his name was Pierre de Coubertin, and he felt that he could institute an educational program in France that approximated the ancient Greek notion of a balanced development of mind and body. Baron de Coubertin was determined, smart, and effective. He was organized. He's known as the father of modern Olympic Games. He was particularly active in promoting the introduction of sport in French schools. Born into a French aristocratic family, he became an academic and studied a broad range of topics, most notably education and history. He graduated with a degree in law and public affairs from the Paris Institute of Political Studies, which still exists today. In 1892, Pierre de Coubertin addressed a meeting of the Union of Sports Athletics in Paris. At first, he got pretty meager responses, but like I said, he is very persistent and determined and eventually an international sports congress convened on June 16, 1894. So it took a whole two years to convince anyone that this might be a good idea. Eventually, with delegates from Belgium, England, France, Greece, Italy, Russia, Spain, Sweden, and the U.S. in attendance, he advocated the revival of the Olympic Games. He found ready and anonymous support from the nine countries. When all the details of the Games were ready to be settled, de Coubertin had initially planned to hold the Olympic Games in France, but representatives convinced him that Greece was the appropriate country to host the first modern Olympics. I honestly kind of agree. I think that it would be cool to have it in Athens, which it was held in, because that is where it originated so many years ago. The Council did agree, though, that the Olympics would move to different countries every four years, so that each country would have its own opportunity to host. Uh, 
14 countries competed in that first Olympics, which took place in 1896. These include Australia, Austria, Bulgaria, Chile, Denmark, France, Germany, Great Britain, and Ireland. Great Britain and Ireland were combined at this time. This was before Ireland won independence from the UK, and Ireland and most of the UK was merged as a union. It also uh, The Olympics, though, also included Greece, Hungary, Italy, Sweden, Switzerland, and the U.S., there were 176 participants total. Nine sports were on the agenda. Cycling, fencing, gymnastics, lawn tennis, shooting, swimming, track and field, weightlifting, and wrestling. The 14-man U.S. team dominated the track and field events, taking first place in nine of the 12 events. little fun fact there. Another fact I find interesting is that there was actually no gold medal in these 1896 games. The winner was given a silver medal and the second winner a bronze medal. There was no third place winner. In modern day, you may know that the first place winner gets a gold medal, second place gets a silver, and the third place gets a bronze. The Olympic Games turned out to be a big success and a second Olympiad to be held in France was scheduled. As the game progressed, more and more athletes joined in and more and more sports were also requested to be joined in. Beginning in 1924, a Winter Olympics was included to be held at a separate cold-weather sports site in the same year as the Summer Games. The first Winter Olympics was held at Charmony, France. Because of the increasing size of both Olympics, the Winter Games were eventually shifted to a different schedule after 1992. They were then held in Lillehammer, Norway in 1994, and this is when the Olympic Committee started alternating between Summer and Winter Olympics every two years. Speaking of committees and what pertains to that subject, often, and especially in the past, the Olympics were used as a platform to share political opinion. This is even seen in modern day, as many athletes in the 21st century Olympics are activists for what they believe. Perhaps there is no more extreme and no better thorough explanation of politics in the Olympics than Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany actually used the 1936 Olympic Games for propaganda purposes. The Nazis promoted an image of a new, strong, and united Germany while masking the regime's targeting of Jews and Roma, as well as Germany's growing militarism. This Olympics disguised what Hitler was actually doing. Um, this 1936 Olympics is often actually nicknamed the Hitler Olympics. This all started in 1931 when the International Olympic Committee, who is in charge of the basic where's and when's of the Olympics um, decided to award the 1936 Summer Olympics to Berlin. So this would mean that the Summer Olympics of 1936 would take place in Berlin, Germany. This choice actually kind of signaled Germany's return to the world community after its isolation if the, in the aftermath of defeat in World War One. I. I don't know if you know much about World War One, but many people blame Germany for starting it in the first place and America was highly against Germany, and they, a lot of countries actually collectively decided to kind of isolate Germany from the world, almost as a type of punishment thing. Obviously, that couldn't last forever, and this was one of those ways of including them back in the world community. As countries were still recovering from World War I, 
the German sports imagery of the 1930s served to promote the myth of the Aryan racial superiority and physical prowess. The Aryan race was said to be this superior and pure race, um, highly influenced by the dictator Adolf Hitler. But in sculpture and in other forms, German artists started to idolize athletes' well-developed muscle tone and heroic strength and accentuated ostensibly Aryan facial features. Such imagery also reflected the importance that the Nazi regime placed on physical fitness, which was a prerequisite for military service. So all of these artists are promoting this propaganda for the Aryan race and what the military should look like in Germany. All of this open discrimination and propaganda eventually led to an Aryan-only policy in all German athletic organizations. Officially, in April 1933, all non-Aryans, which meant Jews or individuals with Jewish parents and Roma or Gypsies, were systematically excluded from German sports facilities and associations. So some of these Jewish athletes that were banned from German sports clubs ended up flocking to separate Jewish associations, including the Maccabean Shield groups, and to improvise segregated facilities. But these Jewish sports facilities were nowhere near comparable to the well-funded German groups. I'm sure you realize that discriminatory actions and segregation is frowned upon. Well, in order to keep away from a bad international opinion, German authorities allowed the star fencer Helene Mayer to represent Germany at the Olympic Games in Berlin. She was viewed as a non-Aryan because her father was Jewish. She ended up winning a silver medal in women's individual fencing and, like all other medalists for Germany, gave the Nazi salute on the podium. No other Jewish athlete competed for Germany. Behind the scenes, Helene Mayer was discriminated against and not treated as well as other so-called Aryan athletes from Germany. Despite the 1936 Summer Olympics being held in what at the time was Nazi Germany, nine athletes who were Jewish or of Jewish percentage won medals in the Nazi Olympics, including Helene Mayer and five Hungarians. Seven Jewish male athletes from the U.S. also went to Berlin. Like some of the European Jewish competitors at the Olympics, many of these young men were pressured by Jewish organizations to boycott the Games. These athletes chose to compete for a variety of reasons, and most did not fully grasp at the time the extent and purpose of Nazi per persecution of Jews and other groups. Movements to boycott the 1936 Berlin Olympics surfaced in the U.S., Great Britain, France, Sweden, Czechoslovakia, and the Netherlands. The U.S. typically sent the largest teams to the Olympic Games, and debate over the participation in the 1936 Olympics was said to be most intense in the United States. Some boycott proponents supported what was called the Counter Olympics. The Counter Olympics was a Olympic game that was to be set at a different site other than Berlin in order to boycott the 1936 Olympics that was to take place in Nazi Germany. One of the most supported counter-Olympics was the People's Olympiad. It was planned for the summer of 1936 in Barcelona, Spain, but it ended up being cancelled after the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War in July 1936. 
and this unfortunately happened just as thousands of athletes had begun to arrive. So the Olympics ended up still taking place in Berlin, and Berlin put a lot into making the stadium great. They wanted Germany to appear as utopian-like as possible. Olympic flags and swastikas bedecked the monuments and houses of a festive, crowded Berlin. At this time, to make Nazi Germany look like a peaceful country, most anti-Jewish signs were temporarily removed and newspapers toned down their harsh rhetoric. Most tourists were completely unaware that the Nazi regime had temporarily removed these signs. They also did not know that the German Ministry of the Interior had recently ordered a police roundup of Roma or Gypsy people. Um, on July 16, 1936, shortly before the Olympics, some 800 Roma residing in the Berlin area were arrested and interned under police guard in a special camp in the Berlin suburb of Marzen. Nazi officials also ordered that during this time, foreign visitors should not be subjected to the criminal penalties of German anti-homosexuality laws. These laws included consequences such as flogging, jail time, and even in some cases, death. You may have seen the Olympic tradition of a torch being carried and lighted in an opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. This represents the start of another Olympics. Well, many people actually don't know this, but the ritual of carrying the Olympic torch was actually started in Berlin in these 1936 games. A lone runner arrived bearing a torch carried by relay from the site of the ancient games in Olympia, Greece, and this re remained a tradition ever, ever since. 49 athletic teams from around the world ended up competing in the Berlin Olympics. This was more than any previous Olympic Games. Germany fielded the largest team with 348 athletes. The U.S. team was the second largest with 312 members. This also included 18 African Americans, which is awesome, and the four-time gold medalist Jesse Owens. The 1936 Olympic Games did end up making Germany look a lot better than what was really going on behind the scenes. German athletes captured the most medals, and German hospitality and organization won the praises of visitors. Most newspaper accounts echoed the New York Times report that the Games put Germany back in the folds of nations and even made the Germans quote-unquote more human again. However, speculation was definitely still present. Today, many historians look at the aftermath of the 1936 Olympic Games. They ask the questions, did this help to cause the Holocaust? Did this help to cause World War II? These are questions both still debated today. It is likely that the most famous examples of politics in the Olympics was the Summer Games of 1936 in Berlin, Germany. But even after the Nazi regimes were defeated, after World War II, the political overtones of the Olympics continued. In 1956, Melbourne, Aussie, Egypt, Iraq, and Lebanon boycotted the Melbourne Games to protest the Anglo-French seizure of the Suez Canal. When I say Anglo-French seizure of the Suez Canal, I'm talking about the Suez Crisis. In all too brief of a sentence, the Suez Crisis was essentially a squabble between some African countries, some Middle Eastern countries, and European countries to have the rights of the Suez Canal. And during this crisis,
The Melbourne Games were also boycotted by the Netherlands, Spain, and Switzerland due to protesting the USSR's invasion of Hungary at the time. In the 1968 Games in Mexico City, Mexico, two African-American runners used the victory pedestal to protest U.S. racial policies. In the 1972 Games of Munich, Germany, a terrible tragedy happened when 11 Israeli athletes were massacred by Palestinian terrorists. And in the Games of Montreal, Canada, 33 African nations, which were to be represented by about 400 athletes, boycotted the Games to protest South Africa's apartheid policies. These are only a few examples when it comes to the politics in Olympic Games. The crazy thing is, it's not just the athletes in hosting cities who take advantage of the Olympics, but the committees who run the Olympics as well. Because of the tremendous potential for profit that the Olympics brings, the process of selecting host cities has become politicized, and there's a large potential for corruption. In fact, a scandal erupted in late 1998 when it was found that promoters involved with Salt Lake City's bid for the 2002 Winter Games had bribed the International Olympic Committee members, who were forced to resign shortly after the incident. There has been farther suspicion of bribes in other Olympics. Speaking of bribery and money and stuff, how do athletes make money? This is a question I've kind of always wondered about, and it was really interesting to look into this. So Olympic athletes can, especially in glamour sports such as gymnastics, ice skating, or track and field, they can reap tremendous financial gains for winning performances through product endorsements and personal appearances. Originally, Olympic athletes were actually expected to remain strictly amateurs and not earn money even for endorsing products. However, by the last decades of the 20th century, professionalism among competitors received official acceptance as the International Olympic Committee finally recognized that many world-class athletes were already functioning as professionals. The end of amateurism probably actually began in the 1960s in the communist countries, where top athletes were supported by the state, but officially considered amateurs. Beginning in the 1970s and 1980s, athletes in non-communist countries sought out corporate sponsors, in effect becoming employees of the sponsor who would pay them. By the late 1980s, restrictions were eased on athletes earning prize money at their sports, and professional athletes were even permitted to represent their countries at the Olympics, meaning that they could get paid through their own countries. In 2017, the U.S. Olympic and Paramedic Committee launched what was called Operation Gold. This was an initiative that would cause U.S. Olympians who reached the podium to receive payments of $37,500 for every gold medal won, $22,500 for silver, and $15,000 for each bronze. If they were on a team, the pots would be divvied up evenly to each member in team competitions. Legislation also ensured that athletes would bring home 100% of their earnings. This money that is given to them is all paid for through the country. We've discussed a number of things already, but there is a topic pertaining to the Olympics that, especially in recent years, has been widely discussed. This is the topic of drug use in the Olympic Games. Drugs and tricks have been banned since the beginning of the Olympics in ancient Greece. Athletes were known to illegally drink magic potions and eat exotic meats in the hopes of giving them an athletic edge on their competition. An interesting fact 
the earliest Olympics were always done in the nude. One speculation as to why men were required to compete naked was to prevent the use of extra accoutrements and to keep women from competing in events specifically designed for men. If any athletes were caught cheating, their likenesses were often engraved into stone and placed in a pathway that led to the Olympic Stadium. This was a gesture that led to shame and disqualification, which can be found in common cold and cough medications, caffeine, narcotics, anabolic steroids, diuretics, certain hormones, and in some sports, beta blockers. Once the International Olympic Committee realized that drug use was a big factor in the Olympics, drug testing became widespread in the 1972 games. The best known example of drug use in the Olympics is attributed to Germany. In Germany, a large sporting committee in charge of the best of German athletes called the East German Sports Federation had a systematic program for giving its athletes steroids from 1974 to 1989. During these years, eight different Olympic Games took place and noticeable changes were seen in German athletes. East German women suddenly dominated events such as swimming, winning medals in 11 of 13 events both in 1976 and 1980. Other swimmers suspected that the East German women were using steroids because the drugs affected their physical appearance, but the team was never caught. After the reunification of Germany, the East German Sports Federation's records were opened and the program was exposed. In 2000, the former head of the federation and the doctor who developed and administrated the drug plan were convicted of systematic and overall doping. The former athletes maintained the statement that they never knew they were taking steroids, claiming that they were told that the various medications distributed to them were vitamins. This is just one example of a long list of incidents with the Olympics that involves drug use. The Olympics are a truly fascinating event. The Olympics can be truly fascinating in so many aspects, and they mean different things to different people. I hope that your knowledge of these traditional games have been expanded. Perhaps you're inspired to try a new sport or go to a competition yourself. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with some neat facts about the Olympic Games. Facts 1. Despite the popular belief that the gold medal is composed of pure gold, this actually hasn't been the case since the 1912 Olympics. Today's Olympic gold medal is an imposter, made almost entirely from silver with approximately 6 grams of gold to meet the standard laid out in the Olympic Charter. The medals for the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo were made from 80,000 tons of recycled electronics. Maybe you're wondering, well, what the heck is the Olympic Charter? Well, that leads us into fact two. The Olympic Charter is the codification of the fundamental principles and rules of Olympicism. Well, you may be wondering, well then, what in the world is the Olympic Charter? The Olympic Charter is the codification and rules of the fundamental principles of the Olympics. Well, you may be wondering, well, what in the world is the Olympic Charter? And that leads us into fact two. The Olympic Charter is the codification of the fundamental principles of the Olympics and the rules and bylaws adopted by the International Olympic Committee. Some were even written by the founder of modern Olympics, Pierre de Coubertin.
Fact 3. The Olympics have been cancelled approximately four separate times. The games were cancelled once due to World War I in 1916 and twice due to World War II in both 1940 and 1944. Most recently, COVID interfered with the games of 2020, although we were able to postpone these games and instead have them in 2021. Fact 4. The youngest Olympian of the modern era was Greek gymnast Demetrios Laundris, who competed in the 1896 Athens Olympics at the age of 10. Fact 5. There have been two athletes who have won gold medals competed for two different... Fact 5. There have been two athletes who have won gold medals competing for two different nations. Daniel Carroll first won gold in rugby, representing Australia in 1908, and then he won gold in rugby in 1920 for the U.S. Kaki Kahiyashavir won his first gold medal in men's weightlifting, competing as part of the unified team in the 1992 Barcelona Games, and later... He won a medal in weightlifting as a Greek citizen in the 1996 and 2000 Olympics. And finally, fact six. The person with the most Olympic medals is the American swimmer Michael Phelps with 23 gold medals, three silver medals, and two bronze medals. learned that koalas aren't actually bears. They're marsupials. I guess they didn't meet the qualifications. Hey guys, it's Lily Havik. Welcome to episode 3 of Versatile Nerd. One of the most curious families of animals are marsupials. If you google marsupials, this well-put definition may come up. A mammal of an order whose members are born incompletely developed and are typically carried and suckled in a pouch on the mother's belly. Marsupials are found mainly in Australia and New Guinea, although three families, including the opossums, live in America. So, this means essentially marsupials are animals who carry their babies in pouches. Marsupials are fun animals to look at. I enjoyed doing research on them myself. So without further ado, let's talk about the world of marsupials. 